going to be speaking to you on how to make decisions. Decisions are all those things we make every day that determine from the start of the day how the day turns out. And uh, most of you are at the start of a new semester right now. You face a whole bunch of days and days and days filled with decisions that you're going to be making. Some of them you'll make soon, and that will affect the rest of the semester. Others you're going to make later on, and they'll affect the rest of the semester. As a matter of fact, your today right now is a result of the decisions you were making in May, June, July, August, and maybe even back before then. Decisions are a part of our life, and we want to talk about how to make good decisions, biblically good decisions. Let's pray and ask God to speak. Would you stand with me? You may as well. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you to speak. You are here, as was stated earlier, and your word says that you're right in our midst, Lord Jesus, because we're gathered in your name. So we ask you to speak now. Each one of us needs to hear from you. And we pray that both for my own heart, Lord, and for the heart of each one of these here, that you would make very clear how you want us to respond to your word today and tomorrow and the rest of the semester. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> going to be looking first at the importance of decisions, making decisions, and then how to make them. Then we want to look at some specific areas of decision making that you may be facing. The world usually makes its decisions, the world without the Lord Jesus Christ, usually makes its decisions uh, by not making any decisions. You know you make decisions by not making any? Like you have a, you have a tooth that's going bad. And you keep deciding, shall I go to the dentist or shall I not? And uh, you, know, you get up the next day, well, shall I go to the dentist or shall I not? I don't quite have the money it'd really take. And so you postpone and postpone and postpone until finally you've made a decision by not making a decision. And it gets so rotten that you can't cap it now and it's got to be pulled. By not making a decision, by sort of sliding into your decision, you've made one. That's the way the world makes most of its decisions. People just sort of walk along day to day and sort of slide into things wonder about some things and fret about some things and sort of slide into them. That's the way most of the world does. Some of the world decides what it wants in terms of money and power or people and then sets a goal and goes hard after it, never asking God or uh, maybe anybody else about the worthwhileness of that goal, but they do really give themselves to it. The bulk of us just slide along. Your decision-making is very important. Whenever you make decisions, uh, first of all, you are building a pattern of decision-making. A pattern that's going to last your lifetime. We tend to think of life as sort of in chunks in our society. There's the chunk before you had to go to school. You know, that was when you enjoyed yourself. And then you start going to school. There's the early chunk of school, and then the middle chunk of school, and then the later chunk of school. But as long as you're in school, you're not really in life. You know, you get on into college, and you're sort of in college now, and you're, you're, but you're not really in life. You're still enjoying yourself. And you can see, if you're a senior, you can already see it on the horizon. The day of judgment is approaching, and you're going to have to enter life, and whenever you enter life, then you're going to start making decisions that really affect you. But in truth, you are already in life. You're in sort of a special category of life right now. You're allowed some time to study and prepare for a career, but you're already establishing the patterns of decision-making that are going to determine what kind of person you will be in the work world, in your family, and what you're going to count for the kingdom of God. You're 
keep doing that as you choose your courses, as you choose your friends, as you choose your dates, as you choose your activities as a student, you're already doing that. And what you'll do when you get on the job is make the same kinds of decisions, the same pattern of decisions, it's just you'll have less time to make them in. You'll have less free time to do more things, and you'll have to do fewer, but you'll make the same kind of decisions you're already making. You're already establishing the patterns of your life. So it's important that you learn how to make biblical decisions now and not wait until one day when you finally grow up. You know, you're already grown up, but there's a day, you know, whenever it's coming. And whenever that great day comes, then you finally start making godly decisions. Well, you know, you need to start now so that whenever that day comes, you'll already know how to. You, know, you learn to swim in the pool. Then when you try the white water, if the canoe turns over, you know how to swim out. You need to start now. Second, your decision-making is very important because you're already making decisions that affect the whole course of the rest of your life. You're choosing right now relationships that will affect the whole course of the rest of your life. You're choosing right now activities that will set the direction for the rest of your life. You're choosing values right now. You're adopting certain values, things that you really down deep in your heart treasure that are going to affect the way you spend your time and your money for the next 50 years. So you're already making decisions that affect the bulk of your life. You know, a lot of times by choosing the school you go to, you choose the mate you end up with. Do you know that? That's right. Uh, it's not necessarily so, but it's quite often so. An awful lot of people who go to Southwestern Single, end up married to South, uh, Southwestern Seminary, end up married to Southwestern Seminary students. A lot of people who go to OU end up married to an OU student. If you're hoping, you know, there are plenty around here. You can look around. <laughs> we make choices that are already affecting our lives. Uh, you're going to make some of your major life choices later, a little bit later, like the kind of career you're going to spend many years in or the person that you're going to be married to. You'll make that choice later, but you'll make it just like the ones you're making right now. You make decisions by just sort of drifting along, sliding into it, one day you're going to slide down the aisle and there you'll be waiting on you, ladies. <laughs> you need to establish a right pattern of decision-making now. One day, fellas, you'll slide into a career and uh, you'll realize that you could have slidden a whole lot higher had you made some other decisions earlier. You're right now making decisions that affect your life. You know, the scripture says in Proverbs 5, 6, it says about the adulteress, the immoral woman, says this in the RSV, her ways wander and she does not know it. Her ways wander and she does not know it. It says right before that, her ways go down to death. Her path goes down to death. But her ways wander and she does not know it. You need to look at your own life and look at the kind of patterns you have been setting in decision-making, making decisions, and evaluate those. Are you satisfied with that? You know, we can ask, are you satisfied with where you are? And the answer to that is always no. Just about all of us aren't. You know, we like some things about ourselves. And there are other things we'd like to do. But we need to ask more than that. We need to ask, am I satisfied with the way I'm guiding my life? Lady in Proverbs uh, says that her ways wandering, she doesn't even know it. Are your ways wandering? The decisions you make are important. They establish both a pattern for decision-making and then they affect the rest of your life. One needs to make biblically sound decisions. There are some decisions that you are just 
you know, you're free on, uh, on, the, on the doing of the things. For instance, you get up in the morning and you decide, you, you walk over to your closet and there are your 85 shirts, you know, or your eight or your three or your one, <laughs> depending on what you did with your summer. But you walk over and here's this great array of things and you stand there and you look at, there's the red shirt and the blue shirt and the orange shirt and the yellow shirt and the green and pink striped one. And you try to decide, which one shall I wear today? Oh, Lord, show me which one shall I wear. So you want to take one, lay it outside the door and see if it's wet and all the ground dry around it. You're free. There, there's a realm of, of freedom where the Lord is pleased if you're pleased. You know, if you like pink and green stripes, just make sure the pants go with it. You know, you walk into, you walk into Jack in the Box or McDonald's, shall I have a fish sandwich or shall I have a Big Mac? Oh, Lord, please show which one I shall have. Lord, so well, what do you want? <laughs> Go ahead. There's a realm of choice he's given us. But there are other decisions that begin to shade into the shaping of our life direction and our time use and things like that that we do need to seek his guidance on. Uh, and those are the ones we're thinking about here. How do you make decisions? How do you make decisions like things about whom to date? How do you make decisions about how to spend the semester? What kind of organizations you commit yourself to? How you use your time? How do you make decisions like choosing a major? Or if you're narrowing down to that life partner, how do you choose a husband or a wife? What are the guidelines behind it? Do you sort of just go out and wait under a tree until a lightning bolt strikes you in whichever direction you fall, that's the person you're going to marry? What do you do? Well, there, Scripture says quite a bit about decision-making. How do you make decisions? I'd like to give you several things. What we would all like, really, is an answer box from the Lord. We'd like him to send down one, you know, a quadraphonic answer box. So we can use it in the meantime, play things on it whenever he's not speaking. <laughs> Dear Lord, please send me a quadra quadraphonic answer box so that, so that I can know your will. So we walk up to the answer box and say, Oh, answer box, whom shall I date? and say, date Sam. Okay, got that. We go off and date Sam. We'd like to evade that responsibility. We'd like to take some of the tension out of decision-making, that tension of wondering and searching and waiting until God shows. We'd like to take that out, but the Lord has not been pleased to do that for us because he wants us to trust him, not the answer box. He doesn't give us a big blueprint for our lives. We walk out, oh, God, what shall I do with my life? And then out of the heavens falls this big blueprint. Boom! <laughs> We unroll it, get it all out on the ground, and say, aha, yeah, that's where I am right now. I've been over there, and I'm right there, and this is where I'm going. The Lord doesn't do that because he wants us to trust him, not the blueprint. He desires your faith, your personal trust in him. Now, he will give you enough guidance throughout your life to where you can see ahead. It would be like, sort of like going to New York City. Now, if you're going to New York City and you drive day and night to get there, he'll give you enough light ahead to where you can see the next curve. But he won't give you a video of everything all laid out. As you walk through life this semester, the Lord will give you guidance day by day on the things you need to know about your life. But he's not going to send you the answer box or the big blueprint because he wants you to trust him. And I don't know about you, but one of my biggest struggles in life is trusting God. I'd like to trust everything else, things I can see, like answer boxes or blueprints. But the Lord leaves me with himself, and he's always adequate. 
here's some here's some guides for you as you make decisions about this semester, about this year. First of all, if you really want to live a life that's pretty well on course throughout your life, nobody nobody's going to live it perfectly, but if you want to stay pretty well on course, you need to learn to walk with Jesus day by day. You need to learn how to listen to him daily, spend some time in his word and prayer daily, so that you can understand his will. Whenever they blast a rocket off the earth, headed towards some objective, either the, the depositing of a satellite in space at a certain orbit, or headed for some planet, one of the things they do to get that thing on trajectory is after a blast off, they don't just blast it off. You know, the guy puts the wires or flips a switch and there it goes. They say, boy, we hope it gets there. Uh, that, that thing begins moving, and particularly after it leaves the atmosphere, they begin some minor course corrections early. They're little course corrections. And those little course corrections, repeated short-term course corrections, aim that thing in the right direction. Now, how would it be, for instance, if they wanted to shoot a rocket at Jupiter? They blasted the thing off, and Jupiter's over here, and we're, we're over here, and we blasted at Jupiter, and Jupiter's moving in the meantime. We wait till it gets out of here, you know, uh, so many hundred millions of miles. And then all of a sudden, we decide this is the last possible second to correct that thing. And we blast with everything we have on the rocket, the satellite that's left, and there's not enough energy, and it sort of goes on and misses Jupiter. It uh, takes quite a bit of blast if you wait till the last second in space. But most of us approach decision-making like that in our lives. We don't listen to God. We don't walk with God. We don't spend time with him daily. And so we just sort of go bumming along in life, just enjoying ourselves, having a great time. And then a decision faces us, like whom shall we marry or what career shall we go into? Or some other major decision comes up, something related to our parents. And we start blasting for all we're worth trying to get on course with God. For day by day by day, the Lord will, if you'll learn to have a quiet time, the Lord will make those minor course corrections. So you're going to be near your target. If you need to make some adjustments, you can get there. Instead, so just blast, 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 and watch it go on by. So learn to walk with Jesus daily. A walk with the Lord, if you'll learn to walk with him on a daily basis, a walk with the Lord takes a lot of the guesswork out of the will of God because you get to know him. And so you don't have to guess on a lot of things. You get to know him and his word. Second thing, walk with him daily. Learn to do that. And, uh, you know, if you, if you walk with him, if you spend one day a week in quiet time, that's better than no days a week in quiet time. You'll work on two this semester. Or three. But if you learn to walk and listen to him, he'll speak to you and guide you in those little bitty daily things that will lead you right to the very point uh, as you face a major decision. A second thing is you need to set your heart to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then other things will come as well. John 7, 17 says this. Jesus is speaking to uh, some of the Pharisees. And they've been questioning him about, are you really from God? What about this? What about that? What about the other? And Jesus says, if any man's will is to do his will, then he'll know the teaching, whether it's from God or from man. Now catch that. If any man's will is to do his will, then he will know. Now, we tend to think, if I know the will of God, then I might do it. But the Lord says, if you want to know my will, first you set your heart to do it. See, there are two questions in, in following the will of God. One is, what is it? And the other is, are you going to do it when you know? 
Now, we'd like to start with the first one first. What is it, Lord? Show me, O oh Lord. Give me a peek out of the curtain. Let me see if I want to buy into it or not. And uh, the Lord says, no, we start with number two first. Are you going to do it? Then, if you're going to do it, I'll show you. You'll know. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. So as we actually put at the core of our lives, seeking first the extension of God's kingdom, entering his kingdom through commitment to Christ Jesus, and letting that be first in our lives, and second, his righteousness, becoming like him personally, as we actually set those things at the core of our lives, then a lot of these other things just sort of come along. And uh, things like clothing, a place to eat, and other life decisions. You need to set your heart on his kingdom, his righteousness, and other things come along. You know, a lot of us uh, really sing in our own hearts. Whenever we sing that song, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own, own way. Really in our hearts, a lot of times we sing, have mine own way, Lord, have mine own way. <laughs> we mouth the words, but down in our hearts we struggle. If your heart is struggling over an issue, will I follow God, won't I follow God, will I follow God, won't I follow God, you're picking daisies. I will, I won't, I will, I won't, I will, I won't. Then just make a decision, I will. And your feelings may go this way or they may go that way. And they may scream out on the inside, but what if such and such happens? Just say, I don't care, I will. Let's go ahead. I used to think that my emotions ruled me. I later learned out of Scripture, I ruled them. You can check that one out for yourself. But uh, you need to set your heart. If you go wavering, will I follow God? Won't I follow God? Will I follow God? Won't I follow God in this area? Like dating or uh, your time use in your semester or whatever then don't expect a whole lot of information until you make a decision. Set your heart to seek first his kingdom. Isaiah 30, 1 and 2 uh, says this. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make a league but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. You can set your heart to carry out his plan. As you do, you'll begin to understand what it is. If you've been struggling in a relationship, Lord, is this the person for me? Then first decide to do his will, and you'll find some other information coming. Another thing you need to do is pray. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me, and I'll show you great and hidden things which you've not known. If you lack wisdom, James says, James 1, 5, then uh, ask, and the Lord will give, and he never says to anybody, You're stupid. You're stupid. You know, a lot of times whenever we go and ask a professor... Uh, for information on something we don't understand, we sort of cringe because he just might say you're stupid. I had a class one time where anybody asked a question, the man would say, that's trivial, and then move on. <laughs> After three weeks, nobody asked any questions. Everybody just sort of buttoned their lip and suffered through. Well, God's not like that. You come to God and say, Father, you know, I just really don't understand this. I just don't grasp it. And I need to know. If your heart is set, there it comes, James says. The wisdom will come to meet the situation. You need to pray. If you don't ask, James 4 says, no ask, no get. <laughs> you ask and you don't receive uh, to, to spend it wrongly. But James says a lot of reasons that you don't have is you don't ask. So as you enter a decision, begin praying. Many times I worry. Oh, what should I do? Should I do that? Should I do that? 
I sweat. I may stay up at night. I'm concerned, see. And I wonder and I meditate and I scratch my head and I write. And the Lord says, uh, you know, if you had asked me, I might just tell you what to do in this situation. <laughs> oh, yes. Back to square one. And I ask, and God begins the ball rolling that leads to the information and the decision I need. But many times, people will come to me, since I'm pastor, I have a role in counseling, helping people make decisions. Many times, people will come to me and say, I've got this big decision I've got to make. And uh, I need to know what, what to do. What, what do I do? I said, well, what have you done about it? Oh, boy, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Well, what else have you done about it? There's something else. The answer is, in Scripture, yes, there's much, much more. And prayer is the prayer is the starting place after you set your heart. But there are several other things you need to do in decision-making. If you don't do these, the Lord may, out of his mercy, show you anyway. But they're in the Word of God, and uh, if you don't do these, he may teach you to do these. Now, he loves you, and he understands that uh, you, like me, don't have it all together. And so he works with you on that stuff. But the more you know the Word of God, the more accountable you are for it. And he's, he's very concerned about your Christian education. So uh, let me share these with you. First one is get the facts. Or you could say after prayer, the next thing would be to get the facts. Proverbs 18.13 in the Living Bible says, and I love it because it's so plain, What a shame, yes, how stupid, <laughs> to decide before knowing the facts. I read that verse and I thought, how many times in my life have I done that? You need to get the facts. A lot of times, we don't get the facts because of sloth. We're lazy. Now, you'll do this with tests <laughs> or term papers. Well, I've got to do a term paper. What on? Well, I've got to do a term paper on the headdress that uh, Amenhotep wore in ancient Egypt. Well, what does the prof want out of the term paper? I don't know. He just wants a term paper. So you go do your term paper on Amenhotep's headdress, and uh, it comes back with a C minus on it. When you fume, I worked hours and hours and hours over this. And you go crying on the prof's desk and lay it down and weep all over it. Why did I get a grade like this? He says, well, you didn't have this, 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 and this, and this in it. But you didn't say that. Well, you didn't ask. Have you ever been in that situation? I have. If I just asked a few more questions, I could have gotten the specific thing that's wanted on the test or the specific thing the guy wanted on the paper. It would save me a lot of agony. So you need to, you need to ask questions. It's the same thing with decision-making. You're considering a certain job off campus for the semester, and somebody says it makes, you know, you make $7.50 an hour at the job. And you say, that's it. Well, that's the one for me. You need to ask a few more questions. How many hours a week do you have to work? Uh, do you get off any this year? <laughs> you know, you need to ask a few more questions. Many times we just rush right on into something without ever asking questions. What does it cost? How much time is involved? Who will I be responsible to? What will this mean for my life in two or three weeks? There's another proverb, don't have the reference on it in the living, that says it is sinful to rush into the unknown. You need to ask questions. You see, one of the reasons is the facts don't change. Many times we think if we'll just close our eyes to the facts and go ahead and run on through and act like we felt God was saying to do this, that somehow everything will change and it'll all be okay. But the facts don't change. Uh, I bought a house in Los Angeles. I didn't crawl under the house. 
You know what I bought with the house? Now it would be about $900 worth of termites. And I crawled under the house, I would have seen them. But you know, I didn't see those termites. I bought that house anyway. And you know what? I had to pay, right now it would be the equivalent of about 900 bucks to get those termites out. And I could have said, I didn't see those termites. But the termites would have said, well, we were here all along. <laughs> and we're not about to stop right now. See, I didn't get enough information in making my decision, but it didn't change the facts about the termites. Uh, you know, ladies, if you hook up with a rebellious man, no matter how good-looking he is, if you hook up with him and you date him for a year, two years, three years here, manage to hang on to him the whole time through, oh, you, and you come up and you marry him, you know, he's going to be a rebellious man the day after you marry him. In the next six months, he's going to be a rebellious man. And the next year, he's going to be a rebellious man. Unless God does something to change that man, he's not going to change. He's always been like that. You may close your eyes to the facts, but they're still there. Fellas, you marry a rebellious woman. You know, you date her for two or three years, and the same thing. You hang on to her, and you finally get her married. But you never really evaluate what her life is like. Whenever you marry her, she's going to be the same person. And I've heard people say, well, I didn't know he was like that. Well, you could have asked. You could have checked. Probably his buddies would have told you. Or his mom and dad. They could have told you a whole lot. Well, I didn't know she was like that. I have a, a friend now who was um, in, a, in a situation where he fell in love with a woman who is rebellious. He didn't ask enough questions. And he's committed to a marriage now that's going to take 15 or 20 years to get straight. Now, he's, he's a man who's going to follow God, and he's going to go ahead and work this thing through. But you see, she didn't change. Love may be blind, but marriage is not. You find out what truth is. And that's the same way with your time use through the semester. You need to ask questions to get the facts. Proverbs 1, about 28 through 32, 33 says, the wisdom is speaking, and she says, again in the living, something like this. You chose to ignore the facts, and she's really getting on it. In, in the Living Translation. You chose to ignore the facts. You closed your eyes to them. And because you refused my counsel whenever I offered it to you, then you, this is the, these are the words, you will face the full terrors of the path you have chosen. Because you chose to ignore the facts, she says. So you want to find out the facts. One of the ways to do that is to begin to make a list of pros and cons. And then to pray over that list. You can pray and ask God to change. Lord, change the cons to pros. Or the pros to cons. Give me some kind of direction on this. But I sit down and evaluate it and line out the facts, and I begin to make a decision. If you don't get the facts, you may end up okay. But a lot of people haven't. So get the facts on a test. Get the facts on the organizations you join. Get the facts on what kind of time is going to be involved in the job you take. Get the facts about what kind of ministry you're doing, you're signing up for, and get the facts. Next, you need to get what the Word says. What does Scripture say? You find a great part-time job, make ten fifty an hour, lifting typewriters out of houses. Well, you know, there's a few things in the Word about that. Ephesians 4.28 says you need to do honest work. You know, Romans 14.22 and 23 says that if the job itself, it does not talk about work, but it's talking about anything, if that thing itself, whatever it is that you're doing, that activity you're doing, really you don't have a good conscience about, you already stand condemned because you're judged by your conscience and you're violating it. You're in sin. Find out what the Word says. 
Uh, if you're choosing a husband or a wife, take a look at 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, 1. Take a look at Proverbs 31. A real good study to do in Proverbs, ladies, is what's the profile of a wise young man? How do you find one? What, what, what does Proverbs say is a wise man? And then, you know, start scanning these guys. Stand them up and check them out. Find out what the Word of God says. Oh, I like him. He's just so sweet. Well, after you marry him, it's going to be real important that he not only be sweet, but he be wise. Because you're going to have to follow this character. So get what the Word says and compare him to it. And many times, because of our desires, we prefer not to do that because the Word might say something against us, and we really want it. But again, you know, the truth about life doesn't change. If you're ignorant of the Word and you violate the Word, there are still consequences. So get what the Word of God says. Uh, find out. Because, again, the, your concern will be to do the will of God so you find out what his word says. Here's, a, here's one that often is violated. And when it's violated, uh, hurts. The next thing is to implement wise advice. Proverbs 52, uh, 15.22, there's no Proverbs 52. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans go wrong. But an abundance of counselors are safety. You get counsel from, from people, and that helps you to make wise decisions. Notice the first part of that is a promise. Without counsel, plans go wrong. You need to go and get counsel from those who know the Word of God and who know you as you're making a decision. Find somebody who knows God's Word and ask them what they see in this decision. What insight do you have about this? Uh, Again, whether it's dating or a course or whatever decision you're working through to find the will of God, ask someone, uh, how, how do you see this? What, what scriptures do you know that have a bearing on, on this decision I'm making? What, what pitfalls do you see? And get counsel and take that into consideration. If you will, in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Now, counselors aren't answer boxes again. Sometimes people come to me for counsel and they really are coming up saying, oh, mighty answer box, what shall I do in this situation? And they want me to make the situation, so if they fail, they can blame me. They want me to make the decision. So if they fail, well, Harold told me to do that. It's all his fault. Well, I, I can't make your decisions for you in life. You know, you, you belong to the Lord, and you have to listen to your daddy. I'm just your brother. I can give you advice, I can give you insight, but I can't make a decision for you. So whenever you go to someone for counsel, you're asking insight and understanding, not just, should I do this or should I not? Now, some categories where you can say, you know, a counselor can say, don't do that. Shall I jump off this building at this point or shall I not? Don't do that! You don't say, well, you know, you're, this is really a matter you need to decide for yourself. And, uh, what funeral home do you like? <laughs> there are points where we, we need to be real firm. But uh, you need to ask the opinions of others and the insight from others. Proverbs says this about people who are living again, who don't get counsel. It says one reason they don't is because they're rebellious and stupid. Some people don't get counsel because they're rebellious. They don't want to ask opinions. They don't want to ask insight about who to date or what to do, which way to go because they might tell me, and I really don't want to do God's will in this. I know what I want, I'm looking for somebody to affirm that. I'm not going to go to him because I know what he'll say. 
Okay? And if you deal with rebellion in your heart, you're back again earlier. It's your will to do his will. So, get counsel. Get counsel from people who are godly. Now, get counsel from people, as a matter of fact, who are more concerned about God's good than about your good. That may seem a little hard, but it's true. You know, Peter gave Jesus some real counsel. The Lord starts talking about the fact that he's got to go to the cross. And Peter says, Lord, forbid it. Don't you do that. And Jesus turned around to him and says, get, me, get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter gave him some real good advice. Those the closest to Jesus were the ones that didn't want him to go to the cross. They were really concerned about him. And sometimes people who really do love you and who are really concerned about you are not really concerned about the things of God. And they'll say to you, don't go to the cross. But if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, where would you be? Where would I be? You know where I'd be? I'd be worshiping, worshiping spirits like my ancestors did. There wouldn't be any salvation for me. I'd be in bondage to the enemy. Now, you're going to face some hard decisions in your life, and you can go to people who will say, oh, yes, we really love you and we're concerned about you and we want you to do so-and-so. That's much better. But they're not concerned about God, and they turn you a false direction. Adonijah was a son of David, and Adonijah began to lust for one of David's daughters, one of his uh, half-sisters. And old Adonijah just got sick, it says in Scripture, over, over that lust he had for that woman. And Adonijah found someone to give him good advice. Well, it was crafty advice anyway. And the guy told him, the Scripture says about Jonathan, the man that told him what to do, that he was a crafty man. Now, he's smart, but he's not wise. Jonathan told him, told him exactly how to get the woman in bed. And he followed Jonathan's instruction to the T. And you know what? He was able to get her in bed and rape her. You know what else? His brother killed him. Now, you can get advice from a variety of sources, but you do well to make sure that, you, that the advice that you seriously consider comes from sources that know the Word of God and are concerned about you, but really concerned about God's best, because God's best is your best. Don't take a sociological survey. I'm looking for counsel on this matter. Like the Harris Poll. I'm looking for counsel on this matter. I'm facing this decision. What do you think I should do? I said, well, I think you ought to do so-and-so. So you got another person looking for counsel on this matter. What do you think I should do? Said, well, you ought to do so-and-so. Then you go to another person, then another person, and another person, and finally you find one of them that says, well, I think you ought to do so-and-so. And you say, aha, that's what I've wanted to do all along. Obviously God has spoken through you. <laughs> and we just hunt, 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 until we find someone who can ex that, that we can use as counsel to excuse what we want to do. Uh, get counsel, not just an opinion poll. Uh, get help with pitfalls. Get people to share scriptures with you. Next step along the line of finding God's will and making decisions is to trust God and wait. And you know what? That's the hardest one. Just trust God and wait. It sounds real simple. Just trust God and wait. Shall I marry this man or not? Shall I marry this woman or not? Well, you know, I've done all these things. Oh, Lord, what shall I do now? Well, trust me and wait. I'll show. <laughs> how long, oh, Lord, how long? <laughs> and we begin to sweat. 
and sweat and sweat. And then in a flesh, we run out and do whatever we want to. The Lord will lead you over and over again to wait. And, you know, sometimes while you wait, you really do sweat. You just go ahead and trust God anyway. Israel was led out of Egypt right up against the shore of the Red Sea. Safe and probably some people thinking ready for a long hike around the Red Sea on into the Promised Land. And then there was this noise in the background. And the chariots began to rattle. People turned around, look, the Egyptians are coming again. They're going to take us right back home. Oh, no. What are we going to do? So Moses cries out to God, you know, what are we going to do? Everybody's crying out, crying out to Moses, crying out at Moses. You brought us out here to kill us. What are we going to do? There's the sea and there are the Egyptians and there's no freeway either direction away from. What are we going to do? So God begins his answer. You know what he first does? He puts a, a cloud between them and the Egyptians and lets them sweat another day. Probably some people sat there all day long. Oh, no, I know that cloud's going to lift any time. <laughs> and then, at the right time, God did something he has had never done before. He opened up the Red Sea, and they walked right through. That happens over and over again in their lives. The Lord says, uh, trust me and wait. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, O my soul. The Lord almost never in Scripture says, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Almost all the time it's wait. Just wait on me. Trust me. You see, he wants you in finding his will to trust him. Just like if you had a girlfriend, you know, she'd, she'd want you to trust her. If you had a boyfriend, he'd want you to trust him. Well, God's a person. He has a relationship to you, and he wants you to trust him. Trust God and wait. Then at the right time, decide in faith. If a time comes whenever you need to make a decision and you don't have a clear, definite answer, then make a decision in faith and go ahead and go through that door. And, um, and then don't go back through it. Many times the Lord, give you, you get counsel, you look in the Word, and you see some lines converging a direction, but there's still quite a bit of understanding you don't have. The time comes to make the decision, you've got to hook up your buggy and go. Just make the decision in faith and go ahead with what understanding you have, and God will bless that. We had to make a decision whether or not to come from California to Fort Worth. We prayed for five months on that decision, whether or not to go to seminary. I was 28 at the time. And, um, boy, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. It seemed like one day was yes, the next day was no. One day was yes, the next day was no. I found a verse in Scripture that says, If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? Now, I was on the staff of a man who had gone out on a limb to create the position I was in. And the Lord seemed to say through that, you need to make this man successful, and that's it. You need to go ahead and be faithful in his ministry. So I went home and told Deborah, I found it. I need to make Bill successful. And uh, as I do, God's going to work. And he, he, So we just stay right here in Fort Worth. You know, in a month, Bill was in a pastorate 500 miles north. And I was on the staff that he left. What happened to my clear direction? I'm my nails again. What am I going to do, oh, Lord? Well, after five months, all the lines, counsel, what we understood out of the word, and everything converged toward going to seminary. We hit the day whenever we had to make a decision, July 3rd, 1974. And on that day, we had to, that was the last possible day to make a decision. On that day, we knelt in prayer and just told the Lord, Lord, 
as far as we understand it, we're to leave Los Angeles, a place we love, and we're to head for southwestern, go to Fort Worth. So in faith, we're taking that step. And you know what happened next? Peace. Just complete peace. You know what else happened? That was one of the tightest money markets there has been for years and years and years. Uh, to, to close a house out, we owned a home. To close a house out took minimum 60 days, sometimes 90 days and longer, just to get the money together. We closed our house out after we got back in four days. It sold for cash. We told a lady who was not a believer that came, we think the Lord's going to sell this house this weekend. Things had to move that weekend. We think it's probably going to be this weekend. We listed on Thursday, and she's sort of, yes, well, it's real nice. <laughs> we listed on Thursday, Sunday morning, a couple in their older years. Her mother had died in Europe and left her money designated for a house. It must be spent for a house. They started looking for a house on Sunday morning and signed the papers for our house Sunday evening. And the lady was just sort of, <laughs> we cleared out of Los Angeles in 20 days time we got back and got things rolling. Now, everything converged, and we had to make a decision in faith. Once you do that, then if you are wrong, if you do do something wrong, the Lord will guide you back on the right track. But what you don't do is go through the door and then stand and look back through the door wondering if you went through the right one. Move on with God. If you need to be redirected, you've done it in faith, he'll, he'll redirect you. What about signs? What about supernatural signs? Well, I believe in them. But they're not a substitute for other things. Not a substitute for prayer. Not a substitute for counsel. They're not a substitute for getting into the Word of God. Uh, but they are real. The Lord can give signs. Now, I have never laid out a fleece and uh, got up the next morning to see if it was dry. But I've done something equivalent to it. Uh, whenever we made a decision to stay in Fort Worth, having finished seminary, and we were making that decision, we figured having moved forward five months in decision-making that we had finally passed the epitome of Christian experience and it was all going to be downhill from here. We started praying in January, I'm sorry, February 1978. And um, about the middle of the summer, the Lord said, just seemed like the Lord was leading after prayer and counsel and everything, seemed like the Lord was saying we needed to ask him for a sign. So we began to ask him for what sign to pray for. And he said, as far as we could tell, this was from him, to ask as an indicator for a single check for $400 in the mail from an unusual source. Not cash, not $400 and one penny, not in person, and not from someone who had given to the ministry we were in before. Now, I don't know why that came, but it came and it stayed around for a long time. We kept asking the Lord, Lord, if it's not of you, just take it out of our minds. So we began to pray for that. And the Lord brought that sign five months later. We were ten months in prayer. On a Tuesday, I went through complaining against God. God, money is short. You're not saying anything. And the Lord said, well, let me, so you're telling me some things about you. Let me tell about me. Let me tell some things about you. You've done this and 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 this. God began to show me my sin. And boy, I got discouraged and down in the mouth. And Wednesday was a grim day around our home. I don't think I said seven words all day to my wife. I was off that day. Just dealing with the sin I saw in my heart. The next day on Thursday, Deborah and I talked things through, and we decided the real problem was that in my heart particularly, there had been a real desire to go back to Los Angeles. And I'd never really laid that down. So I laid that thing down Thursday noon 
on Saturday, the church that had sponsored the church we began uh, contacted me. We, we were in contact, and they said, the missions committee said, we believe this is of God, and we're going to recommend it go through. In one month, we were meeting as a church. But it took 10 months of prayer. The Lord gave a sign. There was counsel. There was time in the Word. There was evaluating life, pros and cons. All those things went into it. Signs are real. God can give those. But they're not a substitute for the others. One other thing. What about getting a word from God out of the Word? Uh, a subjective word from Scripture. I, I just feel like God's saying this to me out of the Word of God. It's not in context. But I feel like God is saying this to me. The Lord can do that. But check it with others. The enemy can also emphasize things to you. He's a spiritual being, very concerned about the direction of your life. He can emphasize things too. Check things with others. Get counsel on it. Particularly in the area of the guy or gal you're going to marry. I've had, in my experience, I've had a lot of people say, but God has given me a verse, I'm going to marry this woman. It's usually the guy. Not all the time, it's usually the guy. I'm going to marry this woman. And then he watches her walk down the aisle for someone else. So, particularly in the area of a mate, uh, you know, proof of the pudding's in the tasting on that one. The Lord tells Moses, Moses says, How am I to know if you're going to work through me for the deliverance of Israel from Egypt? God says, Moses, you'll know by this sign. Whenever you bring them to worship on this mountain, that'll be a sign to you. Think about that. After he's got them already out of Egypt, <laughs> they're at the mountain, that's going to be a sign that God's going to do it. Sometimes God gives us a sign like that. Proof will be in the doing of it. Signs fit in with the other things in the Word of God. Your decisions are important. They affect the direction of your life. You're already establishing the patterns. These next year or two years or three years at OU are going to be important times for you. Things you can learn about the Christian life are in front of you, as well as your career. Crucial issue, though, in decision-making, let's go back sort of to the first. Crucial issue is are you willing to do the will of God? you are, you'll know. As you look at the semester, the year, you got stretched out before you, academics. Now, you're called by God to do a good job in academics. The question is, what's going to be a priority for you? Is it going to be following Jesus? Is it going to be the kingdom, his righteousness, or your grades, or your social activities? What's going to be the core? If you set the core around Jesus, you're going to have a lot of light this year on the will of God. If you set it around something else, you're going to have a lot of confusion. Proverbs says that... Uh, the way of the righteous is like the dawn, going from light to light. But the way of the wicked is deep darkness. They don't even know what they're stumbling over. They even lose sight of the problems that are bothering them. All they know is they hurt. You'll set your, the core of your life around Jesus. You'll find guidance. You know you have to decide what's the noun or the adjective. Did you know that? Are you a Christian student or a student Christian? Which one's the cake? Which one's the icing? I used to be a chemist Christian. Now I am a pastor Christian. I could be a bottle washer Christian next year. But Christian has to be the cake, not the icing. Well, I'm a Christian student. You're a student first and a Christian second. Now I know that's the way we say things in our society, but what really is the case for you? If you'll decide that the cake is Jesus and the icing is all that other stuff, then you're going to find a life of light going to light. And you make a decision that you want the best of both worlds, what you did have and what God can offer too, you're going to find confusion and darkness. The Lord is more anxious to show you his will than you are to find it, because he loves you. He shows his will to those who decide to do his will. May God grant you this year a, a profitable, productive year 
a happy year and knowing the will of God and spending your life in such a way that there's peace and joy and productivity.